hashtag blessed. I uh, typed that into the old Google machine this past week, and the uh, first thing that came up was knowyourmeme.com. So apparently, it's uh, a meme. Uh, people can use it sincerely or sarcastically. Uh, someone can post hashtag blessed when they've made it through four green lights uh, in a row, or they can post hashtag blessed when the Lord has graciously answered some burdensome prayer. I, I first remember seeing it not on the web, but on a wall. Uh, we were at the church men's retreat a number of years ago, and we were in uh, Skycroft uh, Retreat and Conference Center in the gymnasium uh, playing basketball, and over in the corner there was a wall with a lot of things people were thankful for written on the wall, and in kind of the, the center of the clump of the wall was hashtag blessed. Uh, my, my guess is it was some activity for the youth to participate in and express their sincere uh, thankfulness to the Lord for uh, his blessing in their life. But what does it mean to be blessed? Do you consider yourself blessed? How would you even know if you are blessed? What should you do if you don't feel blessed but want a blessing? Uh, this is what we have the privilege of thinking about together this morning from Psalm 128. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn in your Bible, your copy of God's inerrant, inspired, and infallible word to Psalm 128. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 518. And when you arrive at Psalm 128, you'll notice an ascription at the top in the smaller but paradoxically all capital letters there that says, A Song of Ascents. This was one of the 15 psalms that ancient Israelite pilgrims would sing as they made their way up to the temple in Jerusalem for one of the three annual feasts. We learn about this duty in Exodus chapter 34, verses 24. Uh, these psalms were composed at different times in Israel's history, but they were probably eventually compiled as a complete and finished set sometime after the uh, Babylonian captivity. Now, last time I was preaching in the Psalms of Ascent, I was trying to be cool and explain to you that this was the ancient Israelite mixtape. And I was trying to update that metaphor to say that it was not a CD. Uh, but then I went and I thought I had reached the pinnacle of what we really use. Uh, uh, and I said, use your MP3 player. Now, apparently, that's incorrect and not the most up-to-date thing that we use. So whatever it is that you use to listen to music and a, a set list of songs, that's what this is for the ancient Israelite pilgrims. Right? This is what they sang as they went up. And these songs, they're actually useful to us um, because we're headed somewhere, just like the ancient people of God were headed somewhere. Uh, these ancient pilgrims, right, they were headed to Jerusalem for worship, and we are headed to heaven, the new Jerusalem. So we look forward to the heavenly Mount Zion, gathering with all of God's people there and worshiping him there where we will see him face to face. So in these songs, uh, we learn how to be holy and happy and heavenly-minded on our journey to heaven, trusting in the Lord. The last time we were in the Psalms together, as I said, we studied Psalm 127. Uh, and Psalm 127 and actually 128 are pretty closely related. A number of the same themes emerge in these songs. They both address labor and love and little ones. Psalm 127 taught us that blessing is not found in human strength. It's found in heavenly strength. So we learned when we studied Psalm 127 that blessing is not found in frenzied building. Uh, blessing is not found in frantic watching. Blessing is not found in fretful working. Psalm 127 taught us that blessing is not found in human strength, but in heavenly strength. Psalm 128, it actually teaches us really the same lesson, that blessing is found in heavenly strength. Follow along as I read this passage for us now. Psalm 128. 
a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord Yahweh, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Here's the main idea of this psalm. The favor of the Lord is upon those who fear the Lord. The favor of the Lord is upon those who fear the Lord. We're going to unpack this psalm under three headings. The secret of blessing, the substance of blessing, and the source of blessing. The secret of blessing, the substance of blessing, and the source of blessing. Now let me just be upfront with you about a couple of things about this sermon. Here's, here's the first thing. Number one, the first point is going to be the longest. Because the first verse is the fountainhead of the whole song. So we have to have a good understanding of that. So the secret of blessing, the first point is going to be the longest one. Second, I'm going to sneak in a fourth point all along the way. I know I said I'm giving you three. But all along the way, I want to show you the Savior of blessing. Because the truth is, is that Jesus fulfills this song. Jesus is who we want to think about as we think about this scripture. And Jesus has taught us that the Psalms are actually about him. So in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said that the Psalms point to him. So we need to think about the Savior of blessing as we even unpack this Psalm in its original context. But let's go ahead and stick our noses in the text one more time. Well, at least one more time. We're going to stick our noses in the text a whole bunch more. But let's look at verse 1 as we think about the secret of blessing, the first point, the secret of blessing. Read the first verse of the Psalm again. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord Yahweh, who walks in his ways. Do you see the secret of blessing here in verse 1? Do you see who might receive a blessing and how they might be blessed? The secret of blessing is found in the fear of the Lord and walking in his ways. This is confirmed in verse 4 too. Go ahead and skip down to verse 4. You see verse 4? Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now go back up to verse 1. You see from verse 1, it's available to everyone. right? Everyone is available to man and woman, young and old, rich and poor, servant and master, Jew and Gentile. This is an open invitation to all to come and experience the blessing of the Lord. So have you, have you experienced the blessing of the Lord? Are you blessed? Are you at least amazed that the sovereign Lord of all is willing to bless. But what is blessing? What does it mean to be blessed according to the Bible? This word, uh, blessed, is actually the word that opens the whole Psalter. Uh, all the way back in Psalm 1, uh, some translations will use the word happy or joyful for blessing here. Uh, this word can have connotations in the Hebrew. It can have connotations of, of total well-being and kind of wholeness, completeness. It's sometimes tied to wealth and prosperity, as we'll see a little bit later in the psalm. It can refer to, to fullness, uh, lacking no good thing. <clears throat> it can refer to those who have been redeemed and rescued from trouble. Uh, it can refer to being kind of the recipient of good gifts from God, as we'll see also here in the psalm. 
Uh, more simply, and the way I'd probably try to summarize it is this. It can refer to enjoying the favor of God. Blessing refers to enjoying the favor of God. And that favor can be received in a number of, of different ways. It's actually probably the totality of these ideas that's in view here in our psalm. Especially the, the one who fears the Lord enjoys the favor of the Lord in all of life. And of course, enjoying the favor of the Lord naturally leads to happiness and joy in all of life. Still, as we see in, in this verse, happiness, blessedness, is connected to holiness. Those who are blessed by God are those who revere and fear God. Uh, those who are happy in the Lord are those who are holy before him. So what does it mean to, to fear God? Sometimes the, the Bible speaks of people uh, fearing God when they've actually sinned against him. They're, they're afraid of his holy and just anger. So just think of Adam and Eve, right, when they sinned against the Lord in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, Adam said this to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. So there's a sense in which fear in the Bible is a fear of dread of God's holy anger. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. But that isn't the kind of fear that's in view here in this psalm. No, the kind of fear that the psalm has in view is a kind of actually delight in God. It's a fear that's not afraid, but it's filled with affection for God. It's a fear that's filled with loyalty and love, reverence and reliance, honor and humility before God. It's an affectionate fear, as I said. It's a fear that's actually filled with faith, trust in God. Uh, this fear is a form of reliance and trust. Uh, Psalm, 19, uh, Psalm 115, verse 11 says this, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Uh, those who fear the Lord actually enjoy a relationship with the Lord. So in Psalm 25, verse 14, we read this, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. Is it not a remarkable thing that fearing the Lord brings us actually into rest to God in worth the Lord? Fearing the Lord can also be described as offering reverence to God in worship. So in Psalm 5, verse 7, the psalmist says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So do you, do you rely upon God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know him? Does he know you? Do you revere him and honor him in your hearts? If you do, well, then you fear the Lord. And before any of us kind of pat ourselves on the back for our fear of the Lord, we need to remember that fear is itself a gift from God. Before we're ever tempted to think that we can obtain God's blessing through our working or our willing, it's important to remember that the fear of the Lord comes from the Lord we fear. It's a gift from him. So listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah uh, chapter 32, verse 40, about his purposes of bringing us into a relationship with him. Jeremiah says this, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will, I will not turn from me. This is what God promises and purposes to do, to put the fear of him into our hearts, that we may not turn from him. That same verse even says that the Lord will not turn away from doing good to his people. This psalm is filled with God doing good to the one who fears him. So even as God promises blessing for those who fear him, it is actually God who first blesses them with the fear that he requests and requires. All of God's ways are gracious, and they are gracious from beginning to end. If you fear the Lord, it's because he's graciously given you the gift of fear. And though we might be tempted to think that this 
fear of the Lord is mainly an inner expression. The psalmist reminds us that it has an outward expression too. In the words of the Genevan reformer, the root must necessarily produce its corresponding fruit. So if we fear the Lord, it will be seen, you see that last verse there, in that ver- phrase, uh, last phrase in the verse, in our walking in his ways. In the Bible, uh, walking is often a way of describing kind of a person's whole manner of life. It's a way of describing a person's path and pattern of life. And note the very careful language of verse 1. Walking in his ways. We are very often tempted to think that God should kind of join us on our walk through this world. But the truth is quite the reverse, actually. We should join God in walking in his ways. What the psalm and the scriptures teach us is that we need to actually get out of walking in our ways and get into walking in his ways. And so that we're not left in any doubt about God and what he tells us, what it means to walk in his ways. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6 tells us, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways. In other words, walking in God's ways is none other than keeping God's commandments. That means what he says we do, where he sends us we go. We trust him and we obey him. Is that true for you? Do you walk in God's ways? Do you keep God's commandments? Have you done so personally? Have you done so perfectly? Have you done so perpetually? That's actually what God requires. Have you ever allowed other people or things to rival your love for God? Have you ever allowed God's name, made it common or trivial? Have you ever allowed work to displace your worship? Have you ever dishonored your father or mother or those who are in authority over you? Have you ever murdered someone in your heart through hatred? Have you ever sinned sexually? Have you ever taken what does not belong to you? Have you lied? Have you coveted what did not belong to you? If you've failed in any of these ways, then you're just like every other human being who's walked this planet, except one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we have failed, Jesus has prevailed. You see, verse 1 shows us the secret of blessing, but it also shows us that we need the Savior of blessing, doesn't it? I mean, and I think it even did for the first pilgrims who sang this song as they traveled. There's part of me that thinks that the the sensitive soul on this sojourn to Jerusalem would feel some conviction in singing this song. Does that ever happen to you? Maybe you're on your way to church and you've got some Christian music on the radio because it's Sunday and you've got to listen to Christian music on Sunday, right? Um, You've got some Christian music on the radio and you're thinking to yourself, I'm listening to these lyrics and you're thinking, too often this past week I've failed to fear the Lord. And and I'm going to worship him now. Uh, Too often this past week I haven't walked in his ways And I'm on my way to worship, and I'm going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Or maybe you felt that way even in church this morning. We've been singing some of the songs we've been singing. Perhaps as we've been singing, you're thinking, I I mean, I aspire to this, but I've fallen short. I've, I've sinned. Now, friend, dear Christian, beloved, I I don't want to remove any appropriate guilt that you should actually be feeling for your sin and falling short of the glory of God. But I do... I do want to tell you this. Don't let your sin drive you to hide in fear 
from God, like Adam and Eve did. Allow your sin and that conviction to drive you to God. Allow your sin to drive you to God and to his grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Because here's the truth. Where you and I have failed, Jesus has prevailed. And that's good news for us. The truth is, is that only Jesus perfectly lived. Psalm 121, verse, Psalm 128, verse 1. He's the only one who personally, perfectly, and perpetually feared God and walked in his ways the whole course of his life. And so we put our whole hope in him. We trust that he lived the righteous life for us that God requires. We trust that he died the sacrificial death that, that our sins deserve. We trust that he was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. We fear and revere the Lord Jesus for all that he has done for us and for our salvation. We fear and revere him. So friend, turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Fear him and you will be blessed. You will be blessed with God's favor and eternal life. In fact, Jesus' work is the very motivation for us to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways. If you uh, remember what I said just a, a minute ago from Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40, that part of God's purpose was to put the fear of him into our hearts. Well, similarly, just a chapter earlier in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, God actually promised to write his law upon our hearts so that it's now our desire, our heart's desire to will and to diss God. All that he acts in his ways, we have a great and gracious God. All that he asks of us, he provides. As Augustine once said, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. You see, dear Christian, all that God requires us to do, he gives us the grace to do. Fear the Savior of blessing. Walk in his ways and you will be blessed. That, that's the secret of blessing, fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. We should now turn and consider the, the substance of blessing. This is our second point, the substance of blessing. In, in what ways could these pilgrims expect God to bless them? Well, the short answer is in every way. In every way they could expect God to bless them. Read verses 2 to 4 with me again. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus, or we could say, in this way, shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Here is the substance of the blessing that the psalmist has in view. The man who fears the Lord will be blessed in his labor, blessed in his love, and blessed through his little ones. In nearly every aspect of the man's life, he will experience the Lord's blessing. And I think the, the very language of the, the fruitfulness that we see here in these verses, it ought to remind us of the Garden of Eden, where Adam was given a place and a space which was teeming with life and fruitfulness. It ought to remind us, too, of Deuteronomy chapter 28, when God was inviting his people to come into the promised land of Canaan. Moses was preaching to them. He was telling them that they're going to receive a fruitful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He even said that God's blessings are going to overwhelm you. They're going to overtake you. They'll be so rich and abundant. They'll be overwhelmed by them. Uh, what we're seeing here is probably a mirror of the imagery of Eden that we're supposed to remember and the imagery of the, the promised land that was given. Uh, the 
Israelites, when they went into the land, were going to be blessed in their families and their farms and their flock and their food. And I think this is a mirror of what we see here. So the man of Psalm 128 is mirroring the blessings of Deuteronomy 28. Now, you've probably noticed that I've started referring to the blessed man in particular. Earlier we noted that everyone who fears the Lord will enjoy his blessing. But here in verse 2, the psalm actually gets more specific. I wondered if you noticed that. We start seeing the words you and your pop up there in the psalm. And we clearly start to have kind of a a leader of a household in view. A man, a husband, a father. Uh, There are a number of of reasons for this. One, I I think that the psalmist wants the, the pilgrims to take these blessings personally and to heart. So what better way to do that than to shift his mind from we to me as he's singing? Uh, two, most of the pilgrims were actually men who made this journey. So not, not everyone could make this journey to Jerusalem. Some had to stay behind. It was often uh, women and children more frequently who, stood, who, who stayed behind. Uh, so, some, some women and children would make the trip to be sure. Uh, think about Jesus going with his parents, right? Mary and Joseph uh, to, to Jerusalem. Uh, still, numerically, the men it almost certainly outnumbered the women and children on the pilgrimage. What is more, according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, men were especially required to make the journey to these annual feasts. And three, the uh, third thing why we're probably seeing more particular language of you and looking at a man here, is that all those in the household are blessed through the man uh, who was to be God's channel of blessing. So in, in ancient Israel, everyone was in a household with a household head. Uh, that was true for unmarried sons and daughters. Uh, they, they wouldn't leave and begin their own households until uh, they were married. Anyway, the, the point remains that in ancient Israel, God's design was to make the God-fearing head his channel of blessing to all in the house. There's a degree to which uh, that principle remains both in creation and in redemption. So ordinarily, uh, godly men, husbands and fathers, are a channel of blessing to those under their headship. And of course, in redemption, Jesus is our great head, and we know God's unrivaled blessing under his headship as members of his body, his church. Let's just think about some implications for living this out in the course of creation. So, brothers, men of God, uh, be men of God. Uh, If you want to be a channel of blessing to others, and you should certainly desire that in your life, then you should fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Uh, This will take devotion to the word of God and devotion to the work that God has called you into. I'll say more about devotion to work in just a minute. But just camp on devotion to the word of God for a moment. Brothers, men, our fear of God grows as our knowledge of God grows. Think about how you learned growing up. Uh, You learned through gaining knowledge and actually applying that knowledge, putting it into practice. And all of that took time, didn't it? Uh, We can't cram in time with the line. So let me encourage you to set aside, carve it out. And be committed to that time. So let me encourage you to set aside time every day to read and even reread a portion of Scripture and pray. I don't know about you, but in order for me to begin to kind of draw from the depths of a passage of Scripture, I have to read it and read it and read it over and over again. You know this if you've been with us for Bible study on Wednesday mornings at 6.30, the men who gather for that. You know that we read the chapter at least twice in full that we're reading together. And then we'll probably read it a third time. Uh, in, in bits and parts. The, the goal is for us to steep like a bag of tea in the warm water of the word. And as the word fills our hearts and lives, then Lord willing, we'll begin to send out the aroma of godliness to those around us. For tea, 
it takes three to five minutes to steep. For godliness, you should expect it to take a good bit longer than that. Uh, read and pray through a chapter a day, and maybe you'll keep the devil away. Uh, brothers, read the word alone. Read it assembled with other men. Join us on Wednesday mornings for coffee and Bible reading. Join William and other brothers on Monday night here at the church. Join Jed or other brothers on, on Thursday nights for reading and studying God's word together. And if you need help getting connected to a group of men, find me, find Dennis, find Jed, find William. We'd be delighted to get you connected. Men of God are often a channel of God's blessings. All right, so in Psalm 128, the household head is blessed and the channel of God's blessing to others. And the substance of these blessings are found in his labor, his love, and his little ones. Let's look more closely at each, each of those now. You can see that a man's labor there in verse 2. Here God promises that the man who fears God will delight to eat the fruit of his labor. Uh, this actually stands in stark contrast to what we thought about in Psalm 127, doesn't it? Look back up to verse 2 of Psalm 127 there in your Bible. You see Psalm 127 verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That's your work. For he gives to his beloved sleep. There, in that psalm, Solomon was reminding us of the vanity of human striving apart from God. While a man ate his bread, he didn't enjoy it. He, he was anxious throughout the course of that. Here in Psalm 128, it seems as though God has brought delight to the man's labors. And the second half of the verse, I think, is, is meant to explain the man's enjoyment of eating the fruit of his labors. See, a, a, a God-fearing man uh, is blessed. He's happy and joyful in the fruit of his labors. He can enjoy what God has given to him through his labors rather than being anxious and restless because he's made his work an idol and a god. Solomon taught us the dangers of making work a god back in Psalm 127. But we need to remember that doesn't mean that work isn't good. In the Bible, work is good. It was given before the fall. After the fall, uh, it becomes more difficult, more toilsome. Uh, but work itself remains good. It brings delight to God's people as they bring him glory, as they work as one who fears him. When you work for the weekend or when you work for wealth, then you've made work a God to satisfy your comfort and your pleasures and your desires. But when you worship God as you work, he is glorified and you are satisfied. The holy man is happy in his labor and the holy man is happy in his love. According to the first half of verse 3, the psalmist, promise, uh, the psalmist promises blessings in and through the godly man's wife. She's described as a fruitful vine within your house. As one Old Testament scholar pointed out, in the Old Testament, the, the blessed life is actually a pictured as sitting under a vine. So, for example, in 1 Kings chapter uh, 4, verse 25, during the, the blessed days of Solomon's rule and reign, uh, we read this. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. All the days of Solomon. See the, the vine there is a picture of safety, security, and blessing. In Micah chapter 4 verse 4, uh, we as well learn that the vine was a picture of safety and security. In Zechariah chapter 3 verse 10, we learn that when blessed under the vine, you could actually invite your neighbors to come and enjoy and partake of those blessings as well. And of course... We can't forget that vines produce grapes for wine, which make the heart glad, as Psalm 104, verse 15 says. So here's, here's a lesson. 
Right? When you fear and love Jesus, when you love your wife in the strength of Jesus' love, generally your, your wife becomes like Jesus. After all, did not Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine than Jesus? And who has filled more lives with fruit and blessing than Jesus? Brothers, if it's your desire to see your wife more fruitful in life, then look at your love. Uh, look at your love for the Lord Jesus. Are you fearing the Lord and loving him? Uh, look at your love for your wife. Yes, our wives certainly bear personal responsibility to be growing in Christ's likeness and filling a home with fruit. But part of God's design is for husbands to be a channel of blessing to our wives. We're commanded, right, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, to nourish them. If they're not receiving Christ-like nourishment from us, then we can't reasonably expect them to be producing great amounts of fruit as a vine. And sisters, I, I hope that you see in this imagery of a vine, I hope you see that this image is actually a great honor to you since it's so closely connected with our Savior and what he, how he describes himself. I hope you see in this imagery a wonderful invitation before you to fill a home with fruitfulness. This may include children, but it's certainly much more than that. This is true for single sisters as well. It's an invitation to fill a home with prayer and refreshment and beauty and blessing. It's interesting that the psalmist actually uses the phrase within your house here in verse 3. That phrase in the Hebrew, it has connotations of kind of reaching the, the deepest places within a household. Uh, it can even actually mean surrounding the home. Uh, the psalmist is saying that there's not a single corner or crevice of the home that's not been touched by this fruitful woman. Now, sisters, please do not let this drive you to despair. I mean, it's fine for the game closet, the game cabinet to be what it is, okay? Uh, it, the idea here is that a, a godly wife leaves a fruitful footprint everywhere in the home. And the, the, the most important way that you can do that is by loving Christ and sharing the fruit of his spirit everywhere in your home. Uh, you've, you've heard the phrase, when, um, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But th th there are some problems with that phrase. Um, but what I want to say to you is that a Christian woman can actually turn that phrase around. When you are happy in the Lord, uh, you can bring happiness in the Lord to others. And so bless your home. See in this image of a, a fruitful vine, a picture of Jesus' blessing to others. And seek to bless others in your home and through your home. Consider this too. Just as your husband is a channel of God's blessing to you, so you are a gift of God's blessing to him and to your children. Sometimes your husband needs to be reminded that you are a gift to him. And children, since you are a gift as well, you need to be reminded of that too. Like Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, it rejoices in the blessing of children. In the second half of verse 3, we're told that these children will be like olive shoots around the table. Not that they will shoot olives around the table, but that they will be like olive shoots around the table. Children, please do not shoot olives or other objects around the table. Olives, you should know, were very important in ancient Israel. They were used often in daily life. Not only was olive oil uh, used daily, but in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8, when the Lord was actually describing the promised land that he was giving to the people of Israel. He told them it would be filled with olive trees. These children are a gift from the Lord. And as young shoots, they actually hold promise of still more blessing to come as they would grow into larger trees, 
producing more and more olives as they age. And the fact that they're young shoots, and they need tenderness. They need attention. They're in need of nurture and nutrition, physically and spiritually. Children and young people, uh, did you know that you are a blessing to your parents? You are a blessing from the Lord. You are a good gift from the Lord. You are more valuable than olives and olive trees to your parents. You are more precious than all of the wealth in the world. And as it has been said, as I've mentioned before, children do not make a rich man poor. They make a poor man rich. Children, you need to know that you are a blessing to your parents. And by God's grace, with his help, you should seek to bless your parents. And do you know how you do that? Do you know what walking in his ways looks like for you? The most basic and way to do that is by honoring your father and mother. Esteeming them, lifting them up, trusting them, and obeying them as the Lord commands you. Now, set your eyes on verse 4. It's actually emphatic. Uh, you see it there, the psalmist says, behold. And he's almost shouting, look, or see, certainly, behold. And then he says, thus, or in this way. In other words, in your labor, in your love, in your little ones, shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now, we have a sense, I, I suspect, that there are some hesitancies with this for us in our own hearts at least. We've lived long enough in this world to know that even the lives of the most godly are not always filled with perfect bliss. Like this, this psalm, it feels so, so blissful, right? But we, we know that that's not always the case in life, even for the most godly in this world. So can we, can we really take these blessings to the bank? Should we take this literally? I mean, to begin with, not every godly man or woman will get married, right? Even godly marriages, sometimes there's difficulty, right? Not, not every godly marriage will naturally produce children. So how should we think about the substance of these blessings in light of sin and brokenness and God's varied providence in our world? Well, here's the first thing, first way in which I think we should think about these things. These blessings are normal, but they're not necessarily normative. They're, they're not a rule. Uh, since work, marriage, and children are the normal pattern for most men and women in the world, these, these blessings are normal, the normal way that God will bestow uh, blessing upon most believers. Uh, when I, I mentioned this when I, I preached on Psalm 127, but it bears repeating. God's providence will vary from person to person. It'll be different for each person. It's, it's varied. It's different according to his design. And it may be his design that some do not marry. And God is not wrong, and, and you, you are not cursed by God if you do not marry. God in his varied providence has a design, different, yet perfect and good and better for you in his providence. And you are simply called to be faithful to the Lord day to day. Uh, this is true as well for those who may struggle with infertility. I, I quoted him last time, but Pastor uh, Rhett Dodson has said, fertility is not a matter of merit. That also means that God isn't punishing you if you can't have children. Infertility is not a matter of demerit. God gives as he chooses and fertility and infertility are in his hands. In fact, one of the ways that God may be pleased to bless couples who are perhaps struggling with infertility is that he might bring children into their home and around their table through adoption or foster care. Uh, these are real and glorious pathways of God's blessing. They wonderfully picture what God has actually done for us in salvation. Right? We, in our sin, were, were orphans and estranged from God. 
And what did he do? He brought us into his heavenly family. And he didn't need a child. He didn't need another child. He already had a son, his most beloved son, in whom he was satisfied in. And yet in his generosity and grace, he brought us in. And Christians should be those who are showing that same kind of affection and welcoming as well. So maybe the Lord is, is pleased to do that through members of our congregation <coughs> who, who wonderfully picture God's love to us. It, it's my prayer that if a, a couple in our congregation long to pursue adoption or foster care, then we as a church family would be ready to gather around them, support them in spiritual, emotional, and financial ways. Uh, these, these blessings that we're seeing here in this psalm, I, I think they're, they're normal. They're normally how God works, generally speaking. But they're not necessarily normative for every person. We, we could put it like this. They're, they're generally descriptive, but not universally prescriptive. God's providence is varied. We also need to understand that blessing does not equal bliss. I think we sometimes confuse those two categories. Blessing does not always equal bliss. So if we're, if we're looking for blessing and we're expecting bliss, we've, we've misunderstood the nature of blessing. Jesus was blessed and favored by God? Was his life perfectly free of trial? Was it perfectly filled with bliss? No. Blessing does not equal uninterrupted bliss. Just consider Jesus' teaching on blessing in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you. Or consider the words of James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The Lord can bless you and bring burdens into your life. And those burdens can even be a channel of blessing in his hand. A, a godly couple may have a child who faces severe medical difficulties, and yet he is a blessing, and they are blessed. I had uh, an embarrassing pastoral moment this past Friday when I said to a dear couple, even in this trial, you are blessed. And this loving brother gently corrected me and said, especially in this trial, we are blessed. Blessing doesn't mean perfect bliss. Blessing doesn't mean a life without troubles or burdens or brokenness. Blessing means that God will never leave you. And is there any greater blessing? Blessing means that God is for you, not against you. And is there any greater blessing than having God himself nearer to you? Blessing is being satisfied in God in his providence and provision, whatever it may be, regardless of your circumstances. I'm reminded of how uh, one songwriter put it. Uh, she wrote, what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies? In disguise. Indeed, some of the greatest burdens can be God's channel of blessing, his greatest blessings to us, because in those burdens, we are brought nearer to him. And as we read this psalm, we need to consider that these blessings, we need to remember where they are in the story of the scriptures. We're, we're in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and here, God is implanting types and shadows in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessings promised under the old covenant were necessarily more teaches us that the faith, and they pointed beyond themselves. And in fact, the book of Hebrews teaches us that the faithful old covenant believers knew that the material blessings that God was promising in this life pointed beyond themselves. 
So though he was told of the promised land, the reality is yet to come. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, we're told that Abraham, though he was told of the promised land, he was looking forward to this city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And a little later we're told that the old covenant saints, those pleased with the earthly country that God was giving to them, desired a better country, a heavenly one. So as we, as we seek to apply this psalm to our lives, we should embrace the reality that God may be pleased to give us earthly blessings in the here and now, like physical families and children, but we also need to be looking beyond the material blessings of this life too, concerning the spiritual blessings that we enjoy. Paul taught us to think in this way as well. <coughs> so in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he wrote, for while bodily training is of some value, all those who go to the gym, it's only of some value, godliness, we could say fearing the Lord, is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So pursuing godliness actually holds promise for this present life in varying ways. However God is pleased to choose. But it ultimately holds promise for the life to come. Godliness and fearing the Lord uh, bring God's blessings. Maybe in this present life in different ways from God. But certainly in the life to come. Certainly the present life uh, can be enjoyed in the blessings of God here. But ultimately, we remember uh, that we are receiving blessings from Jesus and through Jesus. Just think about how this psalm pictures Jesus. Right? Jesus labored for us. He labored for us in his death on the cross. What was it? He, he endured the shame and the scorn of the cross for the joy that was set before him, the fruit that he would receive after that labor. Jesus worked and kept God's law for us. He, he loved and won for himself a bride. The church, you're part of that bride that Jesus loves. And even now there are children of God who are about to actually gather around his table. Little shoots, you all are, about to partake of and enjoy God's blessings, remembering his love for you in Jesus Christ. And this meal in the present life, it actually takes place in Revelation chapter come, right? The great picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to take place in Revelation chapter 19 at the end of time where we gather around the table with the Lord Jesus Christ. All who are united to Jesus in faith are blessed in Jesus' household. This is true whether we're single or married, whether we have children or no children, whether we're jobless or finding fulfillment in our labors. We enjoy the blessings of Psalm 128 in a real and spiritual way through Jesus Christ now as he brings us into God's family. And remarkably, as children of God, we are God the Father's blessing to his Son, Jesus Christ. We are in part the substance of God's blessing to his son, the reward to his son for his faithful obedience. He received the name that is above every name. He was given a bride, church, and he has been blessed with disciples who are children of the living God. Psalm teaches us one more truth that we cannot lose sight of, the source of blessing. This is our third and final point, the source of blessing. It's been assumed all throughout the psalm, but verses 5 and 6 make the source of blessing explicit. Read Psalm 128, verses Five and six now. The Lord Yahweh bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Well, I trust that the source of blessing is abundantly clear to you here in this verse. The source is the Lord, right? The Lord bless you from Zion. The Lord's the source of blessing. He always has been he always will be. But we often forget that, don't we? 
Just think back to what we've learned over this psalm. Labor is actually not the source of blessing. It's a channel of the Lord's blessing. Love in marriage is actually not the source of blessing. It's a channel of the Lord's blessing. Little ones are not the source of blessing. They are a channel of the Lord's blessing. We do not worship creation or creatures. We worship the creator. We do not worship the gifts, but the giver, because the Lord is the source of blessing. So we don't worship our work or the wealth it produces. We don't worship our wives or the love they give. We don't worship the wee ones or the joy that they bring. We worship the Lord God, who is the giver of all good things. Various disappointments can creep into our lives from day to day and week to week. And when they do, they can actually reveal our expectations, our hopes, our desires, and who we were looking to for blessing and satisfaction. Our disappointments, if we allow them, can drive us to near despair. They can reveal that we were fearing a person, valuing a relationship, or loving a labor more than God. Our disappointments can reveal that we were worshiping the gifts rather than the giver, the blessing rather than the source of blessing. Can I tell you that this was actually the most important lesson for me to learn this past week in studying this psalm? I was confronted by a disappointment uh, this past week in my life, and I realized that I was putting my hope and happiness in something and someone other than God. I was ashamed, and I repented with God's help, but then I had to start preaching a psalm to myself. I was putting my hope and happiness in someone else, and I was reminded that God, he's the only source of blessing. I had to start preaching, Michael, remember when a person, a relationship, or a labor disappoints you, look to the Lord. He's the only source of blessing. You might need to, to preach that sermon to yourself when a person, or a relationship, or a labor disappoint you. Friends, brothers and sisters, let us always remember there is one and only one source of blessing, the Lord God of Israel. The Lord is a source of blessing. And notice where he is blessing his people from, from Zion. Uh, in, in the scriptures, Zion is another name for the temple situated on the Temple Mount. This was where God's heavenly presence touched earth. But then notice that the blessings flow out from the temple to the shining city of Jerusalem. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And then the blessings flow out, even to the whole people of Israel. Peace be upon Israel. There's an expansive nature of the Lord's blessing here. There's an expansive nature, not only geographically, but chronologically. God's blessing actually stretches on through time. Uh, yes, the, the pilgrim is blessed. He is blessed all the days of his life. And then there's a prayer for him to see his children's children, or literally his son's sons. Seeing grandchildren flourishing under the Lord's blessing grants us hope that the blessing would roll down through the ages and ultimately come in the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one true son. And it has come. It has come through him. Because God blessed the people of Israel with offspring, with sons, the Savior blessing eventually came. What did he bring? He brought peace to Israel, or the Israel of God, as Paul calls believers, all believers, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus, the Savior of blessing, made peace by the blood of his cross. We need to always remember that. He is our Savior of blessing. He is how we enjoy the Lord's blessing. And I don't know if you notice this, the, the, the verses we were reading, verses 5 and 6, they're actually a prayer. Uh, scholars have had some debate 
over this prayer about whether or not it was from the priests given there at the temple to the pilgrims who traveled there or if it's from the pilgrims themselves. Because it's part of the psalm, I, I tend to think that it's actually the pilgrim praying this prayer and, and for himself and even looking around and praying this prayer blessing for other pilgrims along with him. And I think it's important for us to be praying this psalm for one another. Praying that the Lord would give us a, a godly fear of him, each and every one of us. Uh, praying that marriages would flourish. And praying that, that singles who feel lonely would feel welcomed into the family of God and loved genuinely, personally. Practice others by sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Uh, praying for children to go, grow up and bless others by sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be praying these things for the Lord Je- uh, for, for, for the good of each other as we travel together and sojourn through this life always keeping our eyes on Jesus, looking forward to the day when we, we gather around his table. Because Mount Zion in the scripture not only spoke of a, a particular place in ancient Israel, in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, but Mount Zion also became uh, I- idealistic for, what would, for what would, where, would be, where we would be worshiping the Lord Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. We are, are looking that day when we gather at the heavenly Mount Zion in the worship of God's people, and even this meal, As we close, we need to remember that even this meal is pointing us beyond this day to that great day when we will sit with our household head, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's loved us as his bride, who's made us children of the living God and blessed us with eternal life. Let's pray together and give thanks to God for these good gifts. Heavenly Father, we pray and ask uh, that you would fill our hearts with gratitude and thanks for the myriad of ways that you have blessed us in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for granting us the fear of faith in our hearts. Uh, Thank you for giving us the strength to walk in your ways, even though we've done that feebly and failingly this week. Father, we give you thanks that we enjoy all the blessings that roll down to us through Christ. Blessings of justification, being welcomed into your family, adoption, and being made more like Christ. Father, as we, as we look to Christ here in song and in the supper, we pray that you would grow our love for him, our gratitude for him, and our affection for him. We pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.